0: is good. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, would you open to 2 Corinthians 5? We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so if you missed last week, you can listen to the podcast. We'll have that posted up, uh, or you can go watch it on YouTube or Facebook from last week. We talked about being new creations in a new covenant. And we talked about how because God wanted to make us new creations, Shagoon hit on it. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a strange, peculiar people, right? To be those people, we had to have a new covenant because the old covenant did not sustain new creations. It created religion. It created brokenness. It created the law. It created shame. And so Jesus came and paid the full price. Amen? Amen. Jesus paid a full price and he fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. Every one of those commands, Jesus fulfilled. He was without sin. Would y'all say that Jesus was sinless? He was spotless. He had no fault in him. And Jesus gave his innocent blood so that a new covenant could be established. (laughs) A new covenant. Not the old covenant with just a new shine on it, a completely new covenant. And he made us new creations. Not the same old people with the same ways of thinking and referring to God. We were once darkness, but he changed us because of Jesus and shagun's all over. He changed us to light because Jesus came and brought light to us. And he doesn't recycle us, amen, Like, Shagun's saying that that he's all on this about God wanting to bring a revelation that brings change in our lives. And here's, here I think this is part of it. He doesn't recycle us. He completely makes us new. Those things in your life right now that are frustrating, he even said it could be a 10 year process, a five year process, or five seconds. It doesn't matter how long this thing has been an issue to you. The moment light comes, it goes away. Instantly. And I love how he says, Shagun said that when, when light enters into a room, what happens to darkness? But what happens when light's in a room and darkness comes in? Light overwhelms the darkness. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. That's not the old operating system. The old operating system is I get temporary light, but then darkness creeps its way back in. But that's not how it works in the new covenant. In the new covenant, I get breakthrough through Jesus. And when darkness tries to come back, the light that Jesus has shined inside of me overwhelms the darkness and it cannot enter into my life. And that's the new covenant. And you and I have been bought with a heavy price, an expensive price. Jesus paid an expensive price so that we could be new creations. He paid a price. He died for all of us. Everyone say, He died for me. One man, one perfect man who was in obedience to his Father, in submission to his Father's purpose, one man gave his life for all mankind, for every one of us. He shed his blood so that we could be new creations. And because of that, we no longer veil our faces, we no longer hide ourselves because we're transformed. We don't refer to one another as our old selves anymore because we're no longer darkness, we're now light. And we're completely new, amen? Amen. So let's go to 2 Corinthians five and we're gonna finish this thought out today. We're gonna take it down the track a little further, all right? I wanna say it's awesome to see you, Marcus. Thank you. you. When you sent the text this morning, I was like, oh, that is so cool, man. So I'm glad to see you. We bless you. We bless you and your family in Jesus' name. Amen. He's a good man. Thank you, Thank you sir. 2 Corinthians 5, verse. we're going to start with verse 14. And Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. <laughs> the love of Christ drives us forward. Because we have decided this, we have judged this, that if one died for all, then what happened? What does it say? Then all died. See, for a new covenant to be started, it required a death. And Jesus died to establish a new covenant. Because without a death of the person who authored the covenant, a new one couldn't be put in its place. So Jesus died. And we know this, that if Jesus died for for one, then we all died because we are in Christ. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Amen? That's, remember that was a key where we can figure this out. Am I being transformed? Am I living as the transformed person Jesus has made me? Am I living as a new creation? The easiest way to tell is am I living for myself or am I living for Christ? That's the easiest way to assess this. I don't, I don't often think it's wise for us to look internally and try to assess ourselves and find out what's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's job. If, we, if we're trying to find stuff wrong with ourselves, we'll find a whole list of stuff, and we'll get into that in a minute. We'll, we'll keep adding to the list, and we'll think that we got over that thing and we'll find it again, but that's not, but when we come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, am I living for myself or am I living for you? He'll answer us honestly. And all sin in our life, it comes from living for ourselves. All of it. All sin in our lives comes from living for the flesh. Because the word says flesh gives birth to, let's say that, flesh gives birth to flesh. Say it with me, flesh gives birth to flesh. But if I'm living for Jesus, I'm no longer living for the flesh, I'm living through the spirit. And then the, the Bible goes on, that verse says, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Let's say that, spirit gives birth to spirit. Amen. But we're not living for ourselves, but we're living for the one who died and rose again. Amen. Therefore, from now on, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once knew Christ this way, we don't know him like that anymore. That is such an interesting statement. The way we used to know Jesus goes away the moment we surrender to him. The way we respond, the way we interact with Jesus changes the moment we surrender our life to him. The old way of seeing him begins to go away as we're transformed into his likeness. The old way of thinking that God is distant and far away or that God is wanting to strike, strike us down or God is wanting to punish us for things that we do. Like those old ways of referring to God go away when we step into this new creation in this new covenant. It says, therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, everyone say in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, come on, and all things have been made new, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that ministry? It's that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Come on. Why was God able to not count guilty people's sins against them? Because Jesus died for all of us. And he took our guilty penalty, and he paid it in his own blood. So because of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation becomes part of this new covenant. And so no longer is God looking to count our sins against us because someone has already stepped in our place and received full penalty and full punishment for those sins once and for all. There's more deeper revelation in that. If we wanted to spend a whole day, we probably will come back to that because grace is bigger than we think it is. What's the ministry reconciliation? Not counting men's sins against them. That's only legal if someone already paid for it. Now then, because of all this being true, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Christ. As if God was pleading to the world through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And then we're gonna land with this last verse. For he made him who knew no sin, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. Wow. And then he tells why. That we might become what? Righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we weren't righteous, but Jesus made us righteous. So I want to talk about part two of this. And we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time and work through it, all right? That doesn't mean it'll take long, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through it methodically. When we believe a lie, we empower the liar. Amen? Period. In any, any situation in life, if we believe the lie, we give power to what the liar is trying to make us believe. And one of the biggest lies that we believe is that if I can get these things in order in my life, then I'll be right with God and everything will be Okay? If I can just get my attitude right, if I can get my marriage right, if I can get my finances right, so I'm going to do this thing called, I'm going to work on those things. We've kind of been making reference to this a lot lately. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to work on my attitude. I'm going to work on my my righteousness, which the Bible calls what? Filthy rags. So I'm going to take my dirty, filthy rag, and I'm going to try to clean my dirty, filthy life with a dirty rag. It doesn't work. Righteousness can only come through Jesus Christ. And the biggest lie, and and this is weird, this, this lie is used against believers more than unbelievers. If you can just get these things in order, then God will be happy with you. See, unbelievers, when we came to Jesus, we didn't think that. Listen to me. How many of you remember back, how many were in a pit when Jesus found you? Now, did you think, okay, wait, wait, let me clean myself off a little bit. And then Jesus, you can come back and find me later. No, we were like, yeah, pull me out of the pit. This is miserable. I'm desperate. I need you. I don't know how to get out of here. I made this pit. I fell in it and I knew it was there. And now I'm stuck here and I need you to get me out of this pit. That's the mind of someone who sees the truth of Jesus, what he is. He pulls people out of pits because he's good, he's perfect, he's righteous, he paid the price. But for some reason, we get along the tracks a little as a believer and we start thinking, Well, Jesus, let me take care of this a little bit. It's like it's like someone who hires a cleaning service for their house but straightens up before the cleaners get there. I don't want them to see how messy I really am. How many people do, do that? Like, oh, I, I'm fine with them thinking I'm a little messy, but that's a little too, that's the same mentality. Oh, Jesus, let me, let me clean up a little first before you come in, before you clean it up. It's ridiculous. And unbelievers, people that go from darkness to light in that moment, they don't think that way. But why do we believe this lie as Christians, as believers, people who've been down the road a while? Why do we think that we have any goodness in us by ourselves to clean anything up? to work on anything. (laughs) So what we do is we look around our house as a believer and we're like, oh, that's out of order. That's out of order, that's a mess, I need to work on these things. So we make a list and then we create a solution. Well, this is what I'm gonna do to work on this. I'm gonna help myself, I'm gonna work on this. The problem is, the thing that motivates us to look for those things is called shame. Shame is what causes me to look for what's wrong because I feel guilty about something. So I want to find out what's making me feel guilty and it's shame that's motivating me into the cycle. And what shame does is it leads me to self-righteousness because if I can find the problem, then obviously I have to solve it. And that's called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the act of covering up what we think is nakedness with our own solutions, now, how many remember back into the, in the garden, right, when God shows up to Adam and Eve after they sinned, they broke the law, and they realized that they were naked. And God says, hey, where are you guys? It's our time to meet. It's our date night. We're going to hang out and go for a walk. They're like, uh, we're naked. God never told them they were naked. Their shame looked for, why am I, why am I feeling bad? Why do I, oh, I'm naked. I, I have to cover this. God never told them they were naked. And he even said, who told you that? That didn't come from me. Let that, let that sink in. Who told you you weren't enough? Who told you you're a failure? Who told you, fill in the blank of all our lists, right? Who told you that? I didn't, did, I, did I tell you that? No, because if I told you, I would have clothed you. But because you found it out, you clothed yourself. Who told you you were naked? See, covering ourselves is the working on ourselves. We've decided, I got it. I got these filthy rags out and I'm gonna make this right. The real problem isn't that we're naked. The real problem is that we need to surrender to a savior. We think the list that we come up with are are the problems. And they're a fruit of the problem. The problem is I'm not living as a son or daughter in submission to Jesus. And I'm living for myself somewhere and I'm not, I'm not aware of it. So I'm feeling shame and I'm like, why do I feel shame? And I try to figure out why I feel shame and I point all of my attention towards these things that I, that I think are making me feel shame, but they aren't making me feel shame. My disconnection is what's convicting me. And the enemy apprehends that and tries to steer it towards his purposes because he wants to get us to act in our own self-interest. What's the Bible say? If you wanna, if you wanna save your life, you gotta lose it. But if you, try to, if you try to protect your life, if you try to preserve your life, you're gonna lose it, absolutely, because you can't protect yourself, See, there's a difference between shame and conviction. Remember, we talked about this a little bit last week. Shame is the enemy's tool to move us away from our need for a savior into self-righteousness. Shame is the enemy's tool to take people who know better and move them away from what they got saved by. Oh, you foolish Galatians, you started out in the spirit and now you're working on all these problems and working on yourself. Who lied to you? How did you find Jesus? I was in a pit, Jesus rescued me. I did nothing. I was just in a pit, I didn't even scream for help. Jesus came to find me. Great, then live your life that way. It doesn't matter how good I think I am or how bad I think I am, all of that doesn't matter. I'm in a pit and I need Jesus. That's the only way we can live, amen? And conviction's different than shame. Conviction, where shame leads us to self-righteousness, conviction leads us to his righteousness. It leads us away from condemnation. Because Romans 8, y'all know it, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, conviction is the act of letting him cover our nakedness. Letting him clothe us with his righteousness. He works the righteousness in us, not us. He diagnosed the problem. We didn't need to diagnose it. Because misdiagnose a problem, mistreat the problem. And we can't diagnose any of our issues. We'll get it wrong every single time. We don't have the capability of seeing what he sees unless we're in submission to him. But he works righteousness. He diagnoses the problems. And he decided someone needs to die. These people are doing all the stuff that they want to do. They are feeding their flesh. I mean, what did he say about, at the time of Noah? Their minds are constantly on evil. Like, how can we be even more evil? I'm thinking, man, that sounds like the times of Jared. (laughs) And so, times of Noah, it's the same. How can we be weirder? How can we mess our kids up even more? How can we make society crazier? How can we ruin women's sports? You let men in the sport. Sorry. And Jesus, or God's like, look, the law isn't going to fix this mess. We need a savior. We need someone who's not living for themselves. We need someone who only does what he sees me do only says what he hears me say. Jesus said in in John 5, I do nothing of my own will. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only only go where he sends me. And God's like, that's the solution. Jesus, a spotless sacrifice, has to come and fulfill all the requirements of this law so that these people can be free from that old covenant. It's restricting. I'm going to undo that legislation. I'm going to write a new one. And the solution to it is not going to be shame. It's going to be conviction. So Jesus lived that sinless life, amen, so that we can live again and we can live surrendered to him. See, Paul talks in Romans 5 and 6 about grace. And he's explaining to them that Jesus died for all and that grace has come and that all this, he's preaching the gospel message to them. He outlines how wonderful grace is and how, how one man Jesus died for everyone. And then he says this verse, I think it's Romans 5, verse 26. He says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And the people were tracking with Paul's logic and they're listening and they're like, well, if grace abounds where there's sin, then we should sin. Right? Like, it only makes sense. Like, man, if, if, if grace is bigger where there's sin, then sin should increase so that grace increases. And he goes, no, you're missing the point. <clears throat> you're in a new covenant now. The goal isn't to sin. Because grace isn't just a covering up of the sin. Grace is an empowering of the new covenant. Grace is an empowering of every believer so that we can live without sin. He says, if we died to sin, which we did in Jesus, then how can we sin anymore? So what's the point? Grace doesn't just cover up sin. It empowers righteous living. Shame leads to self-righteousness, and it does not lead to righteous living. It leads to religion. It leads to the Pharisee attitude. And here's what happens. Remember, the way we treat ourselves, he's in us for us and he's honest for others. So if I'm self-righteous, and if I'm always looking for faults, and I'm always looking for flaws, and how I need to be fixed, then guess how I'm gonna treat other people? I'm gonna treat them the same way I love myself, I'm gonna love my neighbor. And if I'm negative and looking for faults, and man, I, I should've done this better, then when I look up, I'm like, oh, they should've done that better, because it makes me feel a little bit better about myself in the moment. Because I'm covering myself with my righteousness, and it's it's all a trap. Amen. So remember the list we all make of things we need to work on. Let me ask these questions as we close this thought out. Are those things most often valid? Yeah. Like I think most of the time when we make our list of things that don't seem right that need some attention we're pretty on point a lot of times, right? Do those things matter? Absolutely. The problem is, we often mistake what changes because of our surrender is what needs to change for him to enter into our lives. So we get the process flipped. And we think, if I will do these things, I'll feel better, I'll be better, my life will have more peace in it. And what we don't realize is if I will surrender to Jesus, If I will give him my whole life, he will take care of all of those things in the connection that we have. And I don't have to work on it, I don't have to figure it out, all I literally have to do is do whatever he tells me to do. Which goes back to the original sin of man is we wanna do whatever we want to do and we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. Even if we know it's gonna make us fall into a pit. No one can tell me I'll walk into a pit if I want to walk into a pit. And that's what it addresses. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching his first sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he has these statements, and it's peppered all through Matthew chapter 5. And he says things like, hey, you have heard it said, don't kill. And they're like, that's right. We love that law. We've kept that law. I've never killed anyone. He's like, well, good for you. I got a new law for you if you hate your brother, you already have murder in your heart. And they're like, what? And he's like, I got another law. Don't commit adultery. They're like, great. I've been faithful to my spouse. I've never committed adultery. I'm awesome. And he's like, good for you. I got a new law for you. It's a little more difficult. Don't look at anyone in lust. They're like, oh. And he goes down the list. Now, let me ask you this question. Was Jesus Saying that it's not, that that you can kill people? Like, hey, you've heard it said don't kill people, but I give you a better law, don't hate them. Well, can I just kill for the fun of it? No, you still can't kill. Okay, adultery, go down the list. He wasn't saying that those things that the law pointed to weren't important. He's saying there's a higher law now and a higher covenant. And it's an internal one, and it requires relationship. It requires intimacy, It requires the veil being removed. And he's not disregarding our responsibility to follow and to do what he tells us to do, but he's wanting to change the order of the process. Amen? Let's look at it like this. All right, I thought of this example. Hopefully, it translates. I'm almost finished. So those of us that are super spiritual, this is going to hit us, right? So if someone we know is going through a really tough season of loss or pain or fill in the blank, they're just going through a really hard season, all of us super spiritual people, what kind of advice do we give them? Well, man, you just need to praise the Lord through it anyway. If you would just praise the Lord, your problems would just all go away. You know, sometimes that's true. If the Lord says to praise and the problems will go away, then it works. But when we, when we say it, we have the wrong attitude. Well, if you, would, if you would, maybe you need to look inside your heart and make sure you don't have any sin. Maybe this is punishment. Or maybe you, you disobeyed the Lord somewhere, and you messed up. And we go through our things, our list, our self-righteous list, and we're like, well, it, it, you should do this. You should, you should laugh in times of, of sorrow, he said he'd turn our sorrow into rejoicing. So if you're really sorrow, if sorrowful right now, you're really struggling and mourning, you just need to rejoice. But Jesus comes along and he gives us his spirit and he says, this is what you should do. If someone's mourning, you mourn with them. <laughs> we think we know. Oh, come in the opposite spirit rebuke that come on how I many we've, we've just rebuke that that's from the devil maybe it is maybe it's not but i know someone who does know and he really wants to give us wisdom he says if we lack wisdom in any area what are we supposed to do ask him and he'll give us wisdom and he won't he won't measure it he'll give us exactly what we need so that we can know what we need to know the whole point of all of this is that we have to die to ourselves. We have to stay in that place because no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Amen? Have you heard that, that? That Jesus is the door, He's the gate. And that if we try to get in any other way, what does He call us? Thieves. Thieves. We can't go around the system as religious as we think we are or as supernatural and spiritual and all this stuff because we really don't know unless we've heard a word from him. And we really don't know unless our spirits are yielded to him. And here's what I'm learning. If I'm yielded to his authority, then I'm yielded to authority of the people in my life that I care for. I'm yielded to authority uh, in government. I'm yielded to, and I'm, I'm the guy that if I stop at a red light and no one's around, I'm like, dude, why am I stopping at a red light? Let's go. No, there's an authority that I'm breaking when I do. I did it on the way to, to church this morning. There's an authority that I'm breaking. It seems insignificant. It seems, it seems like nothing. And if I wasn't a person who challenged authority, it probably wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> but the Lord knows. I don't know. The Lord knows, amen? And he's trying to break us, we want breakthrough in our lives, it only comes through surrender. It doesn't come from trying harder. Only comes through surrender. That's the only way I have to surrender. Jesus showed us how to do it. He surrendered himself. He became a humble man. The Bible says he humbled himself as a servant. He chose that. He did that. Why? Because he wanted to show us the way. He wanted to give us an example of what it looks like to live in the new covenant. How many of you ever read the Bible in the New Testament and you're like, man, I would love to have the life Jesus had. I would love to experience the things the disciples experienced. Do you know why they experienced that? Because Jesus was a whole new being living under a new covenant. He was living under a new connection with his father. And he's saying, guys, I'm showing you how to do this. This is what life is supposed to look like. Are you all okay? So we are new creations. We're in a new covenant. We can't act like our old selves in this new covenant. We have to live as new beings. There's gonna, it's going to require submission. It's going to require humility. But the Bible says that those who humble themselves will be lifted up, not for our glory. I mean, not, never for our glory, ever. Never for our glory. The Bible also says he doesn't share his glory. It's his. But if we humble ourselves and surrender to this, this man, Jesus, and what he did, and surrender to this new covenant bought by his blood, our lives will look completely different And we may still have those things that we know are weaknesses, but Jesus knows best how to deal with them. He knows how to fix it. He knows how to clean it up. He knows how to transform us. And the way that we're transformed is not through works and effort and toil and striving. The way we're transformed is we look at his face. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold him and we are being transformed into his likeness. That's how we're transformed. I don't look at other people. Stop comparing your life, stop comparing yourself. Just stop it. It's terrible, it makes us all miserable. And our whole social media platform and the whole culture of our society now is all about comparison and, and, and look, look at my life and their life, it's all, it's all fake, it's worthless. But if we we'll look unto Jesus, if we we'll look at him, it's, it was even found in the Old Covenant. You can stand. Y'all remember when the snakes came out and started biting all the Israelites? What was the solution? Well, you're going to take this, this pole, this stick, and you're going you're gonna to put a snake on it. You're going to lift it up. And what happens? Everyone who <laughs> Everyone who looks at it will be healed. Those who don't won't be. What is that a representation of Jesus on the cross? If you look to Jesus, you'll be, you'll be healed. You'll be fixed. All the, all the stuff we be taken care of. And here's what's great. If we'll all live like this, we'll be surrounded with people that are less self-righteous and judgmental of us, and they'll be a little bit more encouraging. And iron will begin to sharpen iron instead of sharpen our tongues. Amen? And it will create a momentum. There's a momentum that happens when people go after the Lord together. I'm going to say that again. There is a momentum that happens in our hearts. There's a connection, a bond that's created as we pursue the Lord together. You want to create a better bond with your spouse, we pursue the Lord together. You want a better bond with our kids, we pursue the Lord together. You want a better bond within the church, let's pursue the Lord together. It sinks our hearts up. We begin to Our hearts begin to beat for heaven. We begin to see what God wants to do in other people and the blessings he has for them, and we begin to cheer people on. We begin to honor them for what God says that they are, who he says that they are. We stop referring to one another as our old nature, our old selves. We're not them anymore, and it creates such a momentum. And so I want to pray into this. I think the best place to start is that we break agreement with lies, Let's break agreement with lies. The father of lies, he's been lying from the beginning. He has no truth in his mouth. The word of God isn't even true in his mouth. He's a liar. He manipulates and twists. And the, lie, the lies he tells us is to manipulate and to move us off of the mark, which is to cause us to sin, to miss the mark. And our mark, if you've been in theater or stage, there's a mark you stand on. Our mark is to stand and look in Jesus's face. There's nothing else we're supposed to do. It comes from that place. So let's break agreement with lies. Would you pray as well? Pray out loud. We break agreement. Hmm. So Father, we ask that you would send Jesus now, the spirit of truth, into this room. Hmm. Break the lies. Break off the lies off of, of our minds that we've believed. We have empowered a disempowered enemy by believing his lies. And we break agreement right now. And God, we ask that you would replace the confidence that we've had in these lies with confidence in your truth. Shagoon said it. We will know the truth, and it will set us free. It will make us free. God, we ask that you would release truth in our hearts right now. Light, enlighten us right now. Woo. Send the spirit of wisdom and revelation now, that we may know you better. Woo. We, we ask you, Lord, to break our self-will. God. Let's pray prayers of surrender now. Come on. We surrender to you, Father. I bow my will. I can feel my will rise up. I can feel it.
1: Oh, why am I
0: sitting at this light? My will rises up. Such an easy example to give publicly. Lord, you know all the other places where my will rises up. God, I ask that you'd help me to take authority of my will, to surrender it to you. Not my will be done, yours be done. Jesus prayed it. (laughs) Not your will, Father, but my will. Not my will, your will, sorry. It didn't quite sound right. Not my will, but yours, Father. God, I ask that you would bring a, a humility and submiss- submissive hearts. <sighs> hmm. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Hank mentioned the verse that you would lead us with your eye. God, that's, that's oh, I, love, I love your discipline. I'm learning, how about that? I'm learning to love your discipline in all forms. I would love to get to a place where you can discipline me with just your eyes. You said you move the hearts of kings. You stir the hearts of nations. God, will you stir my heart like that? Will you bend my heart toward you? We break off shame right now that causes us to cover ourselves, to work on ourselves, to hide ourselves. Let me say this. Working on ourselves is the same as hiding and not letting people see who we really are. Well, hey, I know I, know I got a bad attitude, but I'm really working on it. That's like I'm covering myself. We break that off right now, God. We break off shame that leads to self-righteousness. We ask that you would remove it from us right now, that your righteousness will clothe us. God, clothe us. Would you pray that? God, clothe me now in your righteousness. We trade our, our robes for your righteousness. We trade our garments for your righteousness now. Clothe us in righteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to convict us. <laughs> conviction leads to healing, conviction leads to transformation. Conviction leads to true change, the true issues. So we welcome you to, to Holy Spirit, we ask that you would increase your conviction in this house, in our hearts. Yes, Lord. I know this with all my heart. Today was was set up with the potential for it to change lives. I know it from the beginning to the end. Like I know that one decision can change a life. How I many I mean really believe that still? Like one choice can change your whole life. Like I can make a decision right now and it changed my whole life. I believe that. If you're here, would you close your eyes? I want to pray, pray, pray into this, but I want to say this first. If you've been just struggling under the, the, the wheel of working on stuff, and you want to be free from that, you're tired of it, you can make a decision right now where it stops. Now, it will require surrender going forward, but that's different than, than our works. You want it to stop. You want this cycle, this, this cycle of pain. I don't know how long it's been. You want it to end. You can make a decision right now to end it. If you're like, I want it over. Let's do, let's do a simple act. Just lift your hand. You want it Oh, oh yeah, come on. Yeah, over. <sighs> come on. Why don't we pray for someone next to us and pray for ourselves, but pray for someone next to us as well. There's enough people in the room that we'll all cover each other. Just pray for someone. We're praying a prayer of breakthrough. God, today's a day of breakthrough. We prayed it from the beginning. We prayed it before people even got here that today would be a day of breakthrough, that lives would be changed and transformed, that the cycles would stop right now in Jesus' name, that this this wheel that we've been on, this hamster wheel of working on this problem over and over and over, it's over today. We ask, God, could one day change my life? yes. We want our life to change today, right now. God, I, I pray right now <clears throat> that you would give strength to us to surrender, strength to us to bow our wheel to you, strength for things to change in our lives, however you see fit to change them. We give, our, we give the wheel over to you. We surrender it to you. May today mark our lives forever. May we begin to see the seed of, the, of prosperity, the seed of breakthrough in our lives right now, Lord. God, I ask that today would be marked as a day of change, a day of breakthrough, a season change. (sighs) Come on. And we call forth the purposes and plans that you have for everyone here. We call it forth right now. Can I say this to everyone here? Did you know that God, for every single one of us, I'm not going to say that just this, that oh, he has a plan for your life. No, he has an intentional, purposeful plan plan for your life. He has an intentional, purpose-filled way to bless you and to prosper you and to help and heal you, for you individually, every single one. He's invested a lot into your future, every one of us. He's invested in you. You're a worthy place for an investment. He believes that about every single one of us. You are a worthy place for his most prized investment, his son. You, every one of us, we are a worthy place of investment, for his most valuable prize. And he freely gave his son for us. Not just all of mankind, individually, all of us. You, you too. God, I ask that that revelation would break the lies about you, the distance that we felt, the wondering, or that this is for some people and not for me. This is for people that were raised in this. and not, No, this is for everyone. It's for all of us. You brought us all into the family. You gave us all a seat at the table. You don't have special seats for some people and others. They have to sit outside. You invite everyone to the table. And then you bring us all close and God, I, I call the purposes that you have for everyone here into reality right now. We, we reel them in, in Jesus' name. We pull them into now. We prophesy to tomorrow. Come on. <laughs> we will see the goodness of our God. Would you say that? I will see the goodness of God in my life. It's, it's individual right now. I will see the goodness of God in my life. And we'll close with this prayer. And if you want personal prayer, we'll meet here at the front. But Shagoon prayed into us having wisdom and getting wisdom and revelation from the Lord. We need that right now. We need that to walk into this new covenant, this new creation we are, into the promises that God has for us. It requires wisdom to unlock doors. We don't bang the doors down. Wisdom unlocks the doors. So we pray, God, that you give us wisdom right now, every one of us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Help us to know how to, how to unlock doors through wisdom and not bang on doors and fight through doors. God, I ask that you would help us to know seasons and timing, the timing of things. Oh man, I just saw like the spy show where they all got the laser uh, security system and the timing has to be just right. The Lord's going to lead us like that with wisdom. Oh, wait, wait three seconds. Okay, Go ahead. Okay, now stop bend down turn to the right. Do all he's going to lead us through this maze and it's going to unlock the future. Hmm. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Come on. Would you pray that over your life? No weapon formed against me will prosper. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Whew. Oh, yeah. No weapon formed. Come on. Against me will prosper. Yeah. Whew. We lean on you, Christ, our victory, our champion. And because of you, no weapon formed will prosper. <laughs> For this is the heritage of those who fear the Lord. This is our heritage. It's our birthright because we fear you. Hmm. We, we don't do this enough, but if you need follow-up for any of this stuff we talk about, if you need counseling through the week, if you need conversations, come to us. Find someone here. Share numbers. Say, hey, I'd like to talk about that over coffee. I'd like to be discipled in this thing that happened today. Let's stir that up, okay? Don't, we go from week to week, and, and sometimes we forget what the Lord's doing is building upon itself. And we need to have follow-through and relationship. And so if, if you need someone to talk to today, and share numbers. Get to them after. Say, hey, can we have lunch this week? I want to talk through this. I need you to fight with me, brother, sister, whatever it is, okay? Can we start doing this better? And be in this for one another? Okay, thank you. Well, if you want prayer, come to the front. We'll pray for We bless you. Thank you so much for being here. We pray God did something special and that it continues and grows and increases into fullness. Amen? Amen right we bless you we bless you